Hola, amigos. This is Billy Sheehan, your bass player from the Winery Dogs. You're listening to me right here on Rock Solid. to be this is small town music this is big town music he's ahead of his time you know but he can't use it if only he could prove it well tomorrow's just a song away a song away a song away hey everybody welcome to rock solid the comedy podcast for all things music both new and classic i'm pat francis and joining me today in the zoom room to promote his new album with the winery dogs Simply called three, please welcome legendary bassist Billy Sheehan. Good morning, Billy. Good morning. Very kind of you to say that. I'll try to live up to that intro. Well, here's the thing about this band, Billy. I don't know how you feel about the the term supergroup, but for me, this truly is a supergroup because everyone in the winery dogs is at the top of their game on their instrument. And also Richie on vocals, who I feel is very underrated and not thought of much as a lead vocalist. And together, I mean, you guys are just fantastic. Well, you are you're you're killing me here. You're very kind. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, we uh, yeah, I appreciate the uh, uh, being dubbed uh, some kind of a super group, if you will. But we don't look at it that way, really. We're just kind of a uh, three guys that. Imagine if we were in the same high school, we probably would have ended up in the same position. Uh, and it's kind of like that. We're just looking, guitar player, or bass player, and drummer looking to play together. And there we are. We, we've all done things that we're, you know, we're very, very uh, grateful for uh, and had a wonderful uh, situations in our, all of our respective careers. But for us, we just kind of wanted to get together and play and do our thing and uh, make a band and go out and tour. So we never thought of it in any kind of terms as a super group, but I do appreciate that you, you feel that way. It's my, it's very well, kind of you. Well, you're welcome. And I, it would probably be weird if I said you guys are a super group and you said, of course we are. Yes, indeed. We are a super group. So <laughs> that would be weird. I, I get, I get that that would be weird, but I mean, again, fantastic and that i've been able to listen to the new album it doesn't come out till february 3rd but i've been listening to it for weeks now and you guys just nailed it i mean it's been i think eight years since hot streak and uh and you guys did it again so thank you well thanks we have a good formula we just get in a little room and figure out some songs <laughs> and it is in fact a little room uh richie has moved since the first record but the the in his house uh, initially it was a tiny little room, almost a, you know almost too small. We'd squeeze in there with a little <laughs> drum kit and tiny amps. So when he got a nice new house out uh, out in the in the in the hills, we thought he'd have a little bit more room. But he does. But the room is still tiny that we play in. So we were jammed in there. Uh, I'm sitting on the top of a little tiny amplifier, and Mike's got a tiny kid, and we got in a room and wrote and came up with ideas, and uh, Mike, give me a drum beat, or I'll do a bass line, and those guys will jump in, or Ricky will have an, Richie will have an idea for a uh, uh, you know, guitar chord uh, sequence, and we'll turn into it and talk back and forth and figure it out, and fortunately, all of us have played millions of songs, 
Right. So we've got a big vocabulary of what to do when you need to find a chorus or a bridge uh, to make a song work. Then we got uh, all that stuff finished up and handed it over to the, our vocalist, Richie, who did a spectacular job of uh, uh, lyrics and melodies and above all, uh, delivering an incredible vocal performance, in my humble opinion. So uh, he did a really a great job on that. We had a gentleman by the name of Jay Rustin mix this record. He mixed the first two records, and we are very, very much uh, pleased with his work, and he outdid himself on this as well. I hear everything that I played, that Richie played and Mike played, and it's, it comes across very, very well. Well, Jay Rustin has now produced two of my favorite out or been involved in two of my favorite albums from 2023. It's the Winery Dogs and the upcoming Black Star Riders album. Uh, just nice. two of my favorite bands right now. You guys are both killing it. Let me ask you, you knew Richie from his years in Mr. Big. I Maybe you knew him even before that. When Mike Portnoy comes into the mix, had you known him from other things? I mean, I know you guys are involved in Sons of Apollo. Yes. But prior to the winery dogs, did you and Mike know each other? Oh, yeah, quite a bit. We've known each other for a long time. He's got, uh, as a matter of fact, he showed me a picture when we put out the new new Talos record, 1985 this year uh, or last year. had uh, photos of his first uh, dream theater rehearsal from from when they first began when they were you know young young lads and he was wearing a talus shirt so he used to come see me play and uh at the lamores in brooklyn as uh, when he was in college i think so uh, we've known each other a long time we worked together on a bunch of records way early on in the mid 80s and then we did a who tribute together wow myself, myself paul gilbert uh, Gary Sharon went out and played uh, a whole evening of Who music, and uh, it was quite quite wonderful. Then we had another band with uh, uh, P.S. P.M.S.S. or P.S. Uh, it was a uh, Portnoy McAlpine Sheehan Sharinian, uh, which later turned into uh, Sons of Apollo uh, with the addition of uh, Ron Bumblefoot and uh, Jessica Soto.
Uh, but that came after the winery dogs had already formed. So when Mike came to me and said, we should find a singing guitar player and start a band. I go, good idea. Who do you have in mind? And so we happened to be talking with Eddie Trunk and he goes, Richie Costin. And I went, oh, of course, Richie, because Richie and I go way back right. to when we first got to L.A. And uh, we uh, have been friends for decades and worked together a bunch. We did a tour in Japan opening for the Stones for five shows, just me, Richie, and uh, uh, a drummer named uh, Tal Bergman, I believe. Uh, I just went over there and opened the show and uh, pretty amazing to be playing with the Stones. So we, we go way back. So we got together, we all knew each other. We all worked with each other. We have all uh, been through everything together. So personality-wise, it was a very good fit. And the chemistry within the band is wonderful, which I think really helps when you're putting music together and putting a show together because everybody gets along fine and we all have a lot of mutual respect for each other. And everybody does his job as they're supposed to. You know, they really, people are really serious about doing what they do. I spend every morning, I feed the cat, come down here and hit this for hours. Uh, Richie's a, just a tireless uh, touring, writing, and performing. And Mike is uh, pretty legendary for uh, yes. how much work he actually does and how, how much recording and how much touring and performing he does, besides doing so much in the background as well, that, that, that things that need to be done to, to get a band up on stage and get things working. So, so it's been working very well. Uh, uh, on that level. So when we get in a room to write, things kind of fall together nicely. And I think you touched on, I believe the number one thing though, in all of this is getting along. You got to get along because you're going to be, especially if you're going to go do a tour and you're going to be with these guys 24 seven that, I mean, you guys can be the best of the best, but if you're not getting along, it's not working. I agree. And I always tell people, uh, you know, when you're starting a band, the hang Hanging out is almost as important, sometimes more important than the, than the music, because you're going to be together at every airport, checking on, uh, checking your luggage, getting your luggage, getting on the plane, dealing with everything imaginable on a tour bus for hours at an end. We do some, you know, sometimes you do 18 hour drives on a tour bus. You got to go to one part of the country for another or from one or from uh, Sicily to uh, Oslo, Norway. It's a long drive. You know, you have to put up with that stuff. And. What might be cute and funny in rehearsals, uh, <laughs> when you, you have to deal with it 24-7, it can drive you out of your mind. So all of us are conscientious, uh, uh, understanding human beings, and uh, we watch out for each other as well. So I think that reflects in the music, too, if I may dare say, that when we're on stage, we're watching each other. You know, if some guy makes a left turn, we... We, we follow him or we hold the anchor till he can get back to where he wants to be. There's a, improvisationally, the band, the winery dogs has always been one of our strong points. I believe uh, that we can go off and do something and the other guys kind of automatically know what to do, where to go. Cause we're kind of uh, on that same like ESP. I got great uh, ESP with Mike Portnoy, bass player, or drummer, cause he plays a, uh, plays a drum fill and I play a bass riff that matches it even though we never rehearsed it or never talked about it or never even mentioned it. Part of the song comes, you know, and I'll play on bass. And they, and we look at each other like, how did you know I was going to, well, no, how did you know I was going to play that? So it's a pretty cool thing. It makes uh, being on stage a lot of fun and watching that ESP go and working with each other and having three guys in a band makes it super easy because I'm watching Mike and Richie. Richie's watching me and Mike. Mike's watching us both. And so we, uh, it's a little easier to keep your eye on two guys than 11. <laughs> it's almost like magic if you think about it. 
I mean, between the drummer and the bass player, especially in my funny thing. It's a funny thing. It's hard to explain sometimes. And I kind of automatically have that. That was my thing from the the very first time I was in the same room with a bass and a drummer, a dear friend of mine uh, around the corner from where I live as a little kid. Uh, his band would rehearse, but I was a little kid. I couldn't go inside. My big brother and sisters could, but I was a little kid. I had to wait outside. So one day I go over and there's nobody around and they let me come in. It was just the bass player, Joe, and the drummer, Tommy, and they were playing. And I said, Joe, where's the rest of the band? He goes, well, we practice bass and drums because when he hits a bass drum, you know, it's his bass drum. I got to play a bass note at the same time. So I thought, aha, that's one of the most fundamental, important things for bass players to know. And amazingly, I'll, play, I'll, I'll sit down with guys that have been playing for 10 or 15 years. And they didn't know that. So I got lucky to find out right away about that connection between bass and drums. It's supremely important. Uh, drums give you time. But what key are we in? Right. Now, now and bass connects rhythm and melody. Uh, time and pitch were the thing in between the two that connects them. So my relationship with the drummer is supremely important. And I, I enjoy playing with Mike very much. Well, you've played with some amazing drummers uh, on on record and on tours. You know, uh, Mike, Greg Bissonette, Pat Torpy. Uh, how long does it take you to lock in with a new guy when you get in the room? How long does it take for the two of you to to get to that point? Oddly, it's pretty automatic. Right. I can tell right away when I go to see a band. I'm watching the drummer first, almost always. And then if he, if I, if that's all good, then I'll see who else is on the stage. Oh, look, they got a guitar player too. <laughs> so we, uh, but I, I'm, I'm right on that right away. That's my thing. Uh, my wife and I watched a Santana video on YouTube last night with Dennis Chambers on drums. And I play with him in uh, a band called Niacin. And he is probably one of the greatest drummers ever. <laughs> certainly one of the greatest drummers alive and uh man he is just so great but just watching him in, a, in another uh artist band uh I, some european show the santana played i kind of automatically i just felt a, uh, a oneness with him right away because we played together so much and uh, and I've, I've learned so much from him about time Wow, it's just a just a grandmaster. So I, I learned a lot from 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 many drummers, and I've been very very lucky to play with some incredible guys. Uh, uh, Terry Bozio, you mentioned Greg Bissonette, of course. Pat Torpy, what a fantastic player! Uh, really, God rest his soul. He's just a my, my closest musical friend and one of the finest drummers I've ever known, and uh, so many other guys. So I'm I'm a, I'm, I'm a drummer guy. <laughs> what? 
That's that's when I know that I'm seeing a good band is when I go to see someone live and I don't know who to watch because everyone is killing it. You know, yeah. sometimes you go and you're like, oh, this guy's the whole thing. So I'll just watch him. But a band like Winery Dogs, you, you can watch everybody. <laughs> it's a three ring circus. The three which ring one, circus. Which one do I watch? No, we, uh, you know, we also try to hand off the focus uh for me, I want the focus to be on Richie when he's singing, you know, right. and I want this focus to be on the song. Then everybody will have a spot or a section, even almost in every song where we do a little thing or do something. And I could play, uh, since it's a three-piece band as a bass player, I- I've got a lot of room to move. There's no keyboards, there's no rhythm guitar, there's no horn section or strings or anything. So I can move around and imply a lot more notes to match up with Richie's chord changes and move things around a bass. You can actually change the whole way a chord sounds by moving the root somewhere else and moving it uh, to a different note. So uh, uh, we, we all try. And Mike, of course, is such an accomplished player. He could probably solo through every song and get away with it because he does the appropriate right things right. That, sound, that sound right. And that's a key thing. If you're going to play it more, if it's right, it, it works good. Uh, if if not, it's it's a it's a train wreck. So we try to keep an eye on each other, balance it out, keep it going. There's one song we do from the first record called Regret and uh, slow song. And uh, it's so touching. Uh, and it's just one of my most favorite songs I've ever performed on. one big giant note for a long time before I, <laughs> before I hit the next one. Cause that's what you got to do for that beautiful song. So it's a, it's an interesting uh, uh, dynamic uh, between musicians on stage and what they're doing and how it all works. I, I could, I could talk about it obviously a long time. <laughs> yeah. BP added more than $70 billion to the U S economy in 2022 Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I want to talk about Pat Torby real quick. I, I live in Woodland Hills, California, so I got to see one of your uh, final shows with Pat out at the Canyon Club because it's literally in my backyard. And um, you guys were, uh, Matt Starr was with you guys and Pat was in a, a diminished role, but still there, you know, smiling as big as possible and having a great time with you guys. 
And I got to meet you guys all individually after the show as a fan and get your autograph on my lean into it. LP. Right. And <laughs> um, Pat, for me, didn't seem to be um, uh, as he left having, having the, the best um, time physically, maybe, yeah. even though he, he got in the car and drove home. And when I asked him to sign, he was, he was a little bit shaky. And I said to him, I go, Pat, if you're not feeling up to it, it's, totally okay and he said no way i love to sign and oh, um that was pretty special and um he was a, a just a giant of a man he was a wonderful human being a great father to his son and a wonderful husband to his wife and uh, a solid citizen he was probably my closest musical friend of my life really uh we we thought the same about many, many things. And we had the same outlet. We came up, though we didn't know each other when we were young, we had an almost parallel beginning. He got into bands and started playing in clubs and learning every song. And I was in a band playing in clubs, learning every song. Eventually he did a couple of originals, blah, 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 went on to whatever you went on to. So we had a parallel universe in, in, in many ways and thought the same about a lot of things. He uh, toured as long as he could. Yeah. And, uh, special thanks to Matt Starr for coming in and doing the heavy lifting on the tour. He played the drum kit where we had Pat to the side on some percussion and a mic to sing. Cause this, right. we need his voice uh, is essential to our harmony to have Pat sing. Yeah. And he was such a great voice on top of uh, being an amazing player. And Matt started a great job. He really did. And we were very indebted to him. And on top of it, Matt understood the dynamic of what was going on. It was, we were all there kind of for Pat. Right. Know, to, to allow him to get up on stage and perform. And it's uh, and so many people uh, in the audiences when we played like that in Europe, in Japan, in uh, uh, all over the USA, you could see the look on people's faces, you know, because they knew what was going down. Pat did too, but he, he, it was important for us to say, you got to have a reason to get up in the morning and it's going to be tough for you. But we're there for you. Get up, get on stage, and let's do it. And I think that was a, a very good thing for him uh, mentally to be able to get up on that stage every night and go just the same in spite of all the troubles that uh, his uh, affliction was giving him. Uh, quite a quite a heroic uh, uh, endeavor on his part to get up there every night. And you know he, he was he was losing his balance a bit too. We'd go up on stage and there's stairs. I'd always be right behind him. Right? <laughs> I got you, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, he was, uh, and you could tell also one of the uh, uh, symptoms of that particular affliction of Parkinson's is you tend to write your name smaller because you're a little shaky. And yeah. I uh, sadly I noticed we'd have we'd all sign a record cover and Pat would be his signature would be very small because he was starting to really get to him a bit. Yeah. Uh, sad to see, but uh, the good part of it is it really illustrates what humans are capable of in spite of anything. And I've, uh, some people have had it even much worse, but still got up and, and did what they had to do. So we're very, very proud of Pat for being the kind of uh, human being he, he was. And right to the end, he took care of every fan and signed everything and did everything uh, required of him and more and did it with yeah. a smile. And uh, just uh, Mr. Big plays any further, it's going to be in tribute to that Torpy for sure. Yeah, well, we we always say here, uh, rock in peace. So rock in peace, Pat Torpy. I saw that for the first time the other day, and that was a, the, that's an appropriate R.I.P. 
yeah. for, uh, for Pat. What, uh, again, what a wonderful guy. And uh, I, I love seeing uh, comments about him on my posts when people mention him, when I'm talking about Mr. Big or whatever. And uh, there's an immense love and respect for him everywhere. And uh, just, uh, I'm just it was an honor to know him, but to play him with him is was uh, even greater. Quite wonderful. Thanks for bringing it up, actually. Well, you're you're welcome, and no disrespect to Pat, but we we will now pivot to uh, Winery Dogs Three. I know that's a, it's a weird segue, but uh, yeah. <laughs> we all love Pat, and and he would be happy that you had new music out with Winery Dogs too. So, oh, he, he would. He was a he was a when I did the records with Dennis Chambers, Pat was blown away because he didn't know much about Dennis, as I didn't really prior to the first time I I heard him. And uh, I remember he took me aside. We were in, in Japan doing some promo on a new record years ago. And he goes, Billy, that the thing you did with uh, Dennis Nyasing is unbelievable. And so he got became so enamored with Dennis, he went into the, the practice, uh, mates rehearsal in North Hollywood. And he had a drum room in there. And people and everybody would rehearse there. Van Halen, Tom Jones, David Bowie, Guns N' Roses. Everybody went to Mates. Just a little place, but we all loved it. And uh, people said, "Who's who's drumming in there?" That's Pat. You know, next day, who's who? That's Pat again. He'd be in there every day <laughs> working. Uh, not not unlike myself, I wake up, feed the cat, come down to my studio here, and start to get to work. <laughs> but he'd get up and go to his uh, his uh, little spot there, uh, rehearsal spot, and uh, he'd be at it every day, just working it out, inventing new stuff. Uh, fine-tuning his craft. Uh, it was pretty amazing. So he, he was he was always happy with some of the things I've done. Nice. And, uh, so I, I'm sure he would be uh, pleased with this. First single is Xanadu. still make videos people where was this video shot for xanadu amazingly people thought it was computer generated i saw a couple com comments says that's not real but that was in malibu which rhymes with xanadu uh <laughs> and uh, up on the uh, up on a mountaintop overseeing the pacific ocean uh the home was found by our video uh producer they get location scouts that go yeah. out to the locations. And this particular place was a $7 million home with a view. The view it could have been a shack and still been worth $7 million with that view. Yeah. Uh, but it was a beautiful home. And they, they use it a lot for movies and TVs and events. So they found this spot for us and uh, put us up there. And we had the wind blowing behind us. And if I would have stepped back five feet, it was a long drop, long way down. <laughs> uh, but you could see... For 20 miles, it was unbelievable. The whole ocean out behind us, and they had drones flying, and uh, 
quite a great uh, videographer we had for Xanadu. Uh, he's the same guy who did Mad 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 World as well. But uh, uh, he he did a great job. Of, we we had a blast. Uh, it was a little cold and windy though, so we. Uh, we uh we had we had the wind behind us, so we we're yeah. Getting... So you, so it wouldn't blow you off the cliff. <laughs> Good thing. <laughs> it's keeping you. It's keeping you on land. Yeah, the second single is "Mad World," just released. Uh, Richie's vocals are amazing, and the lyrics have just a positive vibe, in my opinion. This album is so good. I think it's for me. It's your best one. Oh, very kind. Of you. Thank you. you. Guys are just continuing to get better. Well, thank you very much. I, uh, you know, we we live our lives, and as you live, your musical uh, uh, life expands. And when we get together to do a new record, we've had uh, since the last record uh, six or seven years of living to uh, add to our. Uh, what, what we do on our instruments. So uh, I think I think that might have been a factor. Plus the fact that we've uh, the first record was pretty straight up rock. The second record got a little experimental, but still had straight up rock in it. And this one here, I've heard it said that it's kind of a combination of those two. We do a little yes. experimenting, but we really wanted to get back to uh, a lot of things we did on the first record, just straight out hit that. And uh, a few things more funkified on this record a little bit in a, in a rock way, which I like. Uh, and uh, the song uh, choice on the record goes uh, a, a very broad spectrum of uh, stylistic and uh, emotional uh, moods. Now, in the past, when you guys would tour, you would throw in uh, some other songs here and there. Uh, one of my favorites is it's one of my favorite Mr. Big songs from the Kotzen era is uh, Shine. You guys would actually do that live. Now that you have three albums, would it just be Winery Dogs material, or are you still maybe throwing a surprise here and there? Well, so far, that's what we're going to do with the three records. We'd like to represent all three of them well uh, in the live show. 
and there's been no talk about doing anything else. When we first started, we had to kind of throw right. extra songs in because we didn't have enough songs to do a show. You know, there's only like 10 or ten or 11 songs on the first record, I believe. I forget. And uh, we need more songs than that for a show. So we had to throw a few things in. And it was fun doing them. It was a blast. We did. And we did one. Well, not we did uh, uh, I'll Be There by the Temptations. Nice. Tore it up. A uh, couple things like that. Uh, Fool Around and Fell in Love. Uh, that was so. The that YouTube uh, video's got millions of uh, views from from uh, uh, the Japan uh, tour video we did with that. It was our very first show. So we uh, have enough now to do that, but maybe on uh, the next tour, uh, <laughs> after the fourth album, we'll be able to uh, mix it up even more, bring some old stuff back in. But right now, we're excited to do uh, the new stuff. I'm here uh, practicing it in my in my little studio, making sure I can remember all the words, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm pretty well prepared to start tomorrow if I had to. But give my give myself a little bit more room to practice. Is that uh, is. Is that what you do now, Billy? You you're focused on what you're doing right now, but you're still looking ahead to what's the next thing is going to be too. Is that what keeps you moving and excited about music? Yeah, I, I I'm really thankful that built into me somehow I don't know why or how is a just a relentless drive to just do more and better. It doesn't mean faster or more notes, it just means to fine tune what I do on this thing. And uh, related to it, my songwriting and my vocals and everything else like that. So I'm, I'm always really hitting it hard. And as far as looking in the future goes, uh, the next Winery Dogs record, I'm not sure what we're going to do. We could do any number of things, make a left turn, make a right turn, stay right on the highway, uh, go on the roundabout, who knows which way we'll be traveling. But uh, I want to be prepared for any eventuality as far as my playing goes yeah. and my writing skills and my arranging uh, chops uh, to be able to do anything. A lot of my practice on bass, which is kind of a microcosm of that point of view, is mechanical. I want to make sure my hands can do anything. It's probably a spam call. Yeah, spam. Spam is everywhere. <laughs> That's from Fred Flintstone. It sounded like it, but it, yeah. it's kind of uh, so uh, the mechanics of how my hands move, not so much what notes I'm going mm -hmm. to, but just to make it so I create a little machine that can do anything I need it to do. So in any eventuality, oh, I need to do this other thing that I never thought of musically before, but my hand will do it because I've already worked that out. So it's kind of a different approach to playing than, uh, than some other players. I'm sure there's other people that do it as well, though, where I just try to prepare myself for any eventuality. 
uh, yeah. on that fretboard. So similarly, musically, as far as songwriting and recording and all that, I like to be prepared for any eventuality. So whatever comes up in the future, I'll be able to handle or at least get a, get an idea of what to do. Uh, you brought up faster and you brought up more notes, which made me think of the song Shy Boy, which was a Talis song, but you also recorded a version famously on Eat em and Smile. that song to dave or did dave know of that song and he wanted to do it he knew of it and wanted to do it he came to see uh well he he came to see us play in talus on our talus ingve tour summer of 85 twice and prior to both of those times i had already had a meeting with him about uh we were going to play together uh so when he came to see us that was a like a the barn burner uh one of the closing songs of the night and uh he he liked it and uh very kind of him to bring it in and uh and have the band do it and uh uh i'm forever grateful for that not only that but it's a, it's a billy sheehan composition and then for that song that prop that song probably and no offense got heard more from being on eat em and smile than it did from being on the talus album Oh, way more, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, and uh, more mailbox money for you too, probably. Yeah, uh, Dave was very generous and allowed me to keep my uh, uh, publishing on that because uh, the leader of a band doesn't have to. They no. say, hey, I like your song. We'll use it, but I want the publishing. And you could say no and get nothing right. or say yes and get at least a writer's credit or something. Right, like right, that. right. But Dave was great. He's very generous. So he didn't even, he never even brought it up. He just put the song on there and I, and I, and I was, I was, uh, I, I got uh, compensated for that, which is very, very nice. nice. But uh, hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Here's the thing. I, I've, I've never had a chance to ask, uh, interview anyone who's worked closely with David Lee Roth. And my only question about Dave is the Dave that I see as a fan on interviews and back in the 80s on MTV and in print and always that doesn't seem like a guy that you could work with in the studio because he couldn't possibly be monkey hour like that all the time. Right, Billy? So could you tell me what it's like to really work on music with David Lee Roth in the studio as musicians without cameras and without 
the show. What's that like? Is he focused and into the music? Absolutely. And he's a ball of enthusiasm. You know, like, okay, what's that part there? Yeah, put that. It sounds like a verse. Okay, let's try that. And it'll leave the room and okay, and give me something that sounds kind of like a chorus. Yeah, that's great, cool. And he's always, he was, uh, we had a blast. He had him a smile, writing it in down in his basement uh, where Van Halen was born uh, down there. And uh, it was, uh, it was a riot. We had a blast. He was uh, very supportive. You know, uh, we played Elephant Gun and Steve did this wild, this wild lick. And and I'm just kind of playing bass underneath it. And Dave goes, Stevie, that's cool. Billy, you double it. You know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so so when he left the room, Steve, how does that go? You know. So we figured it out. And he was all into uh, the soloing and all the stuff we did on there. More, yes. give me more. Let's do more. It was his idea to do the uh, our solos together, Steve and I, because when we first couple of uh, shows out uh, on that tour. I go up and do my bass solo, yeah, and Steve would do it, his guitar solo, yeah, and a couple shows in, Dave goes, eh, it's not doing it for me. <laughs> we, we gotta, it's got to be more entertaining. <laughs> because Dave, in in uh, fully understanding Joe Sixpack in the crowd, who isn't a musician, a yeah. lot of that stuff, uh, eh, what, what's the point? You know, they don't, you know, the musician people get it, but the non-musicians don't. So he said, well, you know, Steve, you go out there and start playing a, a solo. And Billy, you come up behind him and stop and push him aside. And then you do your thing. He pushes you. Then you're back and forth. And we did that. And the crowd went out of their minds. That was all Dave's idea. So he was a really supportive, uh, wonderful guy. And I think he's a uh, uh, – it's unsung how much he had to do with a lot of the music he was involved with before, uh, before Eat Him and Smile. I think he had a lot to do with how things uh, went down melodically. Mm -hmm. And people, I just read Ted Templeman's book where he talks a lot about the whole situation. And uh, Dave's lyrics, brilliant, really yeah. great stuff. Just a great kind of a mood set that was uh, lurid, but not, you know, slutty. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, yeah. it was, uh, it was intriguing. Uh, mean Streets, uh, ain't talking about love. Uh, you know, it, it, it had a mood in a sense that was heavy, but yeah. it wasn't. Funeral music, as he used to call the dirgy, down, heavy stuff. It was, it was, it was alive, but it had real sensibilities, and uh, I, 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 it was really a, a, an incredible experience. And I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm be a better musician for having worked with Dave for sure. Well, I was lucky enough. I did see that uh, Eat 'Em and Smile tour at the Pittsburgh Civic Arena when you guys came through. And were those the biggest crowds you had ever played for? up until then yeah pretty much though we opened up for van halen and talus and we played to that's their big. crowds uh in 1980 for about 30 shows yeah so that's big too yeah so we did it was always pretty used to being on stages like that that was cool and uh and it just had thousands of gigs under my belt so i we, it was a quick adaptation uh so it, it was a problem the biggest crowd ever was uh mr big played for a uh on the beach in Santos Beach outside of Sao Paulo, Brazil. And we didn't know when we got there, our first <laughs> Brazilian shows, we didn't know that they were playing Mr. Big songs on the uh, daytime soap operas as background music. Wow. Music, just like my heart and all that stuff. So, and, and, and when you get into TV and soap operas, it's a lot bigger audience than, than rock and roll, uh, especially in that country it happened to be. So we got out there, it was uh, Mr. Big headlining, uh, Henry Rollins, the Lemonheads, and a local band. 
well, his name I forgot, but I've since met them a couple of times. And uh, the local band got up first, and there's a lot of people. And I got up from come back from the uh, dressing room and look out. There's a lot of people out here. Well, this is going to be a good show. <laughs> the Lemonheads got up, and I said, "There's a lot of people here." And then Henry Rollins got up and did it, and it was out of control. So I, I said to the guys, "Geez, this is going to be a quite a night." This is a, as far as the eye could see. We ended up with a hundred thousand people on the beach, and uh, it was a, just a total chaos show in a good way. We yeah. were. Flying. We 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 were at the top of our game. We hit everything right on the money. We had a blast. The crowd went out of their minds, and there was of course security and police between us and the crowd. The last two songs come and they left. They just walked. So it was us on the stage, a little space, a little security thingy, and a hundred thousand people. And now out in the audience, it's getting dark. We see bonfires starting and people growing. It's getting, I there's probably even more people there now. Yeah. So as we're playing, we're, we, were, we weren't scared, but we were just wondering, how is this going to play out when we end? You know, are they just going to keep encoring us until the sun comes up? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so we were playing. It's time, you know, we did the last song, Center Good Night, and we looked in the background and the military was the army trucks were pulling in and soldiers <laughs> were getting out to disperse the crowd. So that was our, that was my biggest uh, uh, show. That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. I want to mention the song track three on the album breakthrough on winery dogs three. Your bass work is stellar on this one. And I, this might one this might be my favorite one in the album. It's really great. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. I, uh, I have the great fortune uh, to be in a situation where I'm with uh, every band I play in where people uh, uh, want to hear things I do and uh, want to let me do my thing. And uh, that doesn't mean that I play a lot, like I said before, but, you know, sometimes a, a very simple bass run is supremely satisfying for me. Uh, and also uh, Jay Rustin just got a, just a great uh, mix for us. I hear every note everybody plays and hear Richie's vocals right there as they should be. Uh, so, uh, I have a lot of people to thank for, uh, when, when people hear what I do, uh, I, I'm thankful to a lot of people. The tour starts, let me get it here. I have it written down. Tour starts Greensburg, Pennsylvania, which is, uh, that's, I grew up like right around that area. So that's kind of wild. Um, where's the date uh, there? February 15th at the palace theater in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. Why Greensburg? Why'd you pick? that place to start the tour. We don't choose where we play. No <laughs> one else agents, sets it up. The booking agents do a routing. So you don't go from uh, Bangor, Maine to San Diego, to Miami, <laughs> to Anchorage, because uh, your travel costs, well, you might as well uh, sell your house. All right. Uh, they got to route it. So you start in a place and go to the other places you're playing in, in reasonable amount of time of a bus ride. Uh, though sometimes there are 16 to 18 or even longer bus rides in the U.S. and in Europe as well. Uh, but it has to be routed. And they uh, uh, people are surprised sometimes that we they then they think we choose where we play uh -huh. and uh, uh, what venues and how much they charge for parking. And we got nothing to do nothing with, to do with it. All right. Just, but, but Greensburg was a great choice uh, because uh, there used to be a club there called Stage One. Do you remember that? I don't remember stage one. Maybe it may have been gone by the time you yeah. were around. Uh, but we used to play there in Talos all the time. And Paul Gilbert used to be in the audience. He nice. be, I remember a real tall kid standing in the audience. That was Paul. And he his band actually opened up for us one time there. 
and a couple of other great uh, clubs in that in the Pittsburgh area. Greensburg is a Pittsburgh area. Yeah. And uh, so it's it's a kind of near and dear to me uh, as a as a member of Talos because I played there so much. I'm sure I'll run into a lot of old friends. It's going <laughs> to be great. So we're excited about it, and uh, we'll play anywhere. We're open to play anywhere. We want to play everywhere, but uh, we have to wait for some place to actually book us. Contact the promoter or contact the booking agent and take a date and do that. See, because we're we have a product that we're offering. Right. We can't we can't choose who decides to purchase it or take yeah, it so, exactly uh, if well we, if, if i could we'd play everywhere it's just but but uh we got to wait for a particular city or venue or country even to yeah. invite us in especially with international travel because you can't just go in and play you get any work permits and tax documentation custom stuff for your gear coming in and out all all kinds of uh, uh things you know people will say you should play in chile <laughs> We could yeah. fly in. Maybe we could fly in without a visa, but we certainly couldn't play without a work no. permit. What? Uh, well, Billy, I know that you can play in SoCal without a work permit, but there's no SoCal date. No, there isn't because, uh, as you'll see in the bottom of that little thing with all the dates, more dates coming. So you Fingers see, crossed. They book a leg, a big chunk, and yeah. then there's a, a maybe a week off or two, and then we go up on the second leg. Only the first uh, chunk leg is announced. Yeah. Released. Some of the international dates are on there only because they got to be booked way, way in advance. Right. Because there's so much more to the logistics of playing in another country on another continent. So that's that's an important thing as well. But even that, there's way more shows in Europe, in South America, probably Southeast Asia and Japan as well. We're going to try for Australia. But we... Uh, you know, we, we, LA was my home for 32 years. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I could never not play LA. I'll play every night in LA if I could. It, it, it would be fantastic. San Francisco as well, San Diego, uh, Phoenix, uh, the Upper West Coast up into uh, Seattle and uh, uh, Portland, places like that. So, yeah, we're dying to play everywhere. And many, many more dates uh, are coming. I'm happy to say. All right. A couple more things, then I'm going to let you go. You're in Nashville now. Is that where you make your home? Yeah, yeah, it's been quite been here for five years, and uh, it's we love it. It's just great. Excellent. In 2010, after a nine-year hiatus with Mr. Big, you guys come back with the album "What If," and Paul Gilbert returns, and the first single was "Undertow," and you have a co-writing credit on that. And after nine years, I had no idea what Mr. Big was going to bring to the table, and when I heard "Undertow," I, I was flipping out at how how hard rocking it was, how great the lyrics were, and how fantastic you guys all sounded.
ever since What If, I, just all those albums have been really strong, in my opinion. I think you guys are still doing great work as Mr. Big. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, What If was a, was a great uh, record. We, we enjoyed playing that very much. And the songs uh, translated live really well. We did a lot of touring from that uh, record. Prior to that, now we also have the, we had the 30 year anniversary of Lean Into It. And they commemorated it with a, a, a vinyl version uh, re remastered and they did also they did a couple of uh, music minus one where they removed the bass and so bass players can play along or move the guitar so guitar players can play along very so I cool did, I, I did a few playthroughs on video and uh i was it was funny because uh i went to the studio to do the playthrough i'm just going to play the bass part and the rest of the record plays while i play do my original bass part I never thought about, I should maybe go over this a couple of times before I, I, I forgot it. So I remember doing a, I think it was daddy, brother, love a little boy. And we're about to start and I realized, oh geez, I, I haven't even, I haven't even listened to it for a couple of years, but I got lucky. <laughs> and there was, there was very few flubs, almost none of them noticeable. So I, I got through, but people were, it was so, so great to have people comment on that record. Cause that record for me, my big three. Eat him, smile, Mr. Big lean into it. First Winery Dogs record. Those are my big three. And so nice. that, that record being out on its 30 year anniversary was a wonderful time. And uh, really, uh, it's it spoke so much also about what we mentioned before with Pat Torpy. What a driving force. What a wonderful guy. What a what an incredible drummer and singer he was contributing to very much to that sound. Mr. Big yeah. was a very equal uh, equal. Uh, situation for everyone. We all had input on songs. We all, uh, we all sang, we all had our thing. And uh, it was a, just a fantastic experience in that band. My next question is, I always ask a listener to give me a question and a friend of the show, Dave Festini from New Jersey. He wanted me to ask, was there really going to be uh, an eat em and smile reunion show at a bowling alley in Los Angeles. Was that true? Were you guys all in that bowling alley together? The four of you, or is that it's, a rumor? It is an amazing phenomenon to see uh, an event travel through time and history and watch it morph mm -hmm. into, into many different things. And uh, almost every interview I do, somebody asks about it. I was about, <laughs> maybe seven or eight years ago. It wasn't a, it was a, it was a gig. It was a club. It was uh -huh. attached. There was a bowling alley attached yes. to it, but it was a, it was a club that where they had a jam night uh, every Tuesday and me and Steve and Greg were going to go up and do Yankee Rose and Shy Boy. 
right. and somebody said, what, a, what a, see if Dave's in town. And he was, so he was going to come on down. And simple as that. No pay, no rehearsal, no nothing. Just fun. Just come on down. And uh, unfortunately, the club blew it, and they started letting it's, it. I think it's free to get into it. They started letting more and more and more and more people in. Uh, the place holds about 600 legally. They, I've seen it at 750 on a, on, a, on a jumping night, and they had about 12, 1,500 people in there. And all my friends <laughs> over there said you couldn't drink because you couldn't raise your arms up. Oh, my God. Jammed in. I thought, man, if anything happened here, this is going to be a horrible catastrophe. Yeah. So, unfortunately, we were on stage ready to go. Curtain down. They have a curtain in this particular place. Ready to go. And I saw the firemen come in, and they said, no, no way. Shut it down. And we offered uh, to appease them by uh, allowing some people to leave. So they made yeah. an announcement. If anyone could, everybody said, like, I ain't leaving. No one's leaving. <laughs> so that's it. So that's right. it. That, that's right. it. But the great thing about that was uh, me, Steve, Greg, and Dave got to hang in the back uh, dressing room area for hours and talking and having a great time. I that's posted great. a photo about it, posted uh, the whole story several times. So, uh, but uh, yeah, it was, it's amazing how uh, I get the exact same question in the exact same format from the interview before yours. I was like, is it true you were in a bowling alley? No, we were like set up between the pins and everything. It was a, it's a, it's a club on, on uh, Vine Street, I believe. Yeah. Uh, right, uh, just up from Sunset. Because the line that night went down Vine and around Sunset when the club was already overflowing. It was already too crowded and the line went all the way down and snaked down Hollywood Boulevard. So, wish it would have happened, but uh, yeah. now it is part of lore. Well, thank you, Dave Festini, for making me ask a question that Billy Sheehan answers <laughs> on a daily basis. Now I feel now I feel stupid. No, okay. it's not your fault. It's okay. All right, let me tell everyone where they can find everything about the band and you. Websites: thewinerydogs.com or billysheehan.com. At Twitter, at thewinerydogs or at billyonbase. Instagram at thewinerydogs and at Billy Sheehan on base. Now, final go. thing, Billy, uh, thank you for being here. My pleasure. As our playout song today, I always ask the artist to pick a song from the new album that they would like me to use as our playout song. What would you like to pick from the Winery Dogs 3? Well, I know we've just released the two singles that we haven't released anything else yet. So if I pick one that hasn't been released... I wonder how much trouble I'm going to get in. Well, this is going to, this episode's going <laughs> to drop the day before the album comes out. Okay. Now you mentioned your favorite track. I said it was, uh, it was breakthrough. Let's do it. All right. Everybody enjoy my favorite track. Breakthrough. Thank you so much, Billy Sheehan.
Thank you for having me, and I hope I see you around very soon. Well, if you play SoCal, I'm definitely going to be contacting your PR person and come by and say hello. Please let me know. I'd love to shake your hand and say hi, and uh, we'll uh, we'll have a we'll have a glass of uh, wine or a beer together or something. <laughs> I, I would love it, Billy. You take great care man. and continued success, and have a great Thank tour. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye.